I love the people, I love the equipment, I just love the machines, the customers, the remoteness of it. I, I just love everything about it. Just because we were on a major's location today uh, and then we go to someone else's location tomorrow, our safety culture doesn't change. We bring it with us and we started 2021 with 36 rigs and we ended it with 300. Welcome to The Next Imperative, a podcast hosted by AM Energy Leaders, tackling key issues and trends in the industry. Joining me today, Alvarez and Marsal Managing Director Rogers Herndon and Access Energy Services CEO Ryan Phillips. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks, Jeff. Um, thanks, Ryan. Really appreciate you joining us here today. Um, you know, we were able to work together back in 20. I've become a fan of yours and always been a fan of Axis, so it's a pleasure to have you. Um, maybe just to start us off, would you mind just giving us a little information on your background and, and how you got to Axis and then bring us present. Um, Axis has been very active over the last couple of years and just bring us present on, on the platform today. Sure, Rogers. Uh, thanks for having me here. Um, well, I was born in Houston, uh, currently live in Dallas, but uh, like any good Oldfield Services hand, Houston was where I'm originally from. Um, third generation Oilfield Services, dad did 35 years for Halliburton. Uh, electrical engineer from Texas A&M, so it's just my destiny to be in the oil field. Uh, I love oil field services. It's my passion. It's all I want to ever do. I love the people. I love the equipment. I just love the machines, the customers, the remoteness of it. I, I just love everything about it. Um, started with Halliburton straight out of uh, A&M and uh, spent 15 years at Halliburton. Uh, moved nine times across the country for Halliburton. I just every opportunity I, I had to, to take the next challenge, I, I took it. And I remember my first day at Halliburton, I, I got onboarded uh, in South Louisiana. I don't remember the guy's name, but uh, he told me there was three things you needed to remember uh, to be able to do if you were gonna be uh, successful at Halliburton and have a long career. And he said, uh, the first one is the oil field never sleeps. He says, it's 24 seven, 365. You're gonna miss Christmas. You're going to miss Thanksgiving. You're going to miss your birthday. You're going to miss your anniversaries. And if that's a problem, this isn't the job for you. It's like, yes, sir. Okay, I'm 22. Sure, sounds good. Second thing he said, uh, never burn any bridges. The patch is a small community. Um, just before you open up your mouth, just, just think about that. The third thing he told me was, handed me a beeper. Shows how old I am. And he says, when this beeper goes off, you have two hours to get to the yard and you have to be sober. He said, can you do that? I said, <laughs> the three things, that's probably the hardest, but but I'm able to do all that. And uh, it was a wild ride at Halliburton. I loved it. Um, ended up being a, a frack engineer and went through Halliburton's uh, engineering training, which is a year long. I mean, intense and more or less, uh, you know, gave you a pseudo petroleum engineering degree. Um, I remember the first time I ever went to a frack location in the Rockies. It was just beautiful setting. Uh, a frack crew at that time was, you know, 20,000-ish horsepower. And it was just the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. The amount of moving parts, the horsepower, the machines, the equipment, the crew, the chemistry behind it, the geology, the hydrostatics, and, and just everything was like, oh, my God, this is the coolest thing I've ever done. And I got ate up with it bad. And... Uh, ended up uh, getting assigned to a frat crew in Grand Junction, Colorado, and um, and that was uh, one of the more enjoyable things I've, I've ever done because it's just 
the, the crews there were fantastic. The leadership there was fantastic. The customers were fantastic. It was, it was hard work though, like make no mistake. Our yard calls, we were usually in the yard at 3, 3.30 in the morning. Uh, I'd have the safety meeting, uh, drive to location, rig up, pump a job, rig down, pump another job, and then you know make it back to the yard sometime in the afternoon and get ready for the next job and did that over and over again. Um, did did uh, that for three or four years as a, as a frack engineer and then wanted to um, uh, get a little bit more diversified and became a seaman engineer and started chasing drilling rigs uh, in South Texas. In South Texas, cementing is very technical. Um, I love that too, uh, the technical aspect of, of designing slurries and then mixing them and executing those on these deep hot. Uh, at the time, it was vertical wells in South Texas. Um, got my first PL July 27th, uh, 2009. They, Halliburton took a, a chance on me. That was uh, the, uh, the banking crisis and, and oil had plummeted. And it was a very sharp, steep drop end of 2008 and 2009. And so they gave me a very small PL at the time. And, you know, I was an engineer with no leadership skills. And they say, you know, here's, here's your first PL. And they don't just throw you to the wolves at Halliburton, but they, they, they give you the training kind of on the fly. Had some really good mentors, and uh, just I got ate up, ate up with running a PL and managing a business. Just having that scorecard at the end of every month and being an engineer and playing sports and being competitive, like I wanted to win, and that PL was my scorecard at the end of every month. And like, oh, this is awesome. I love it. And I just wanted to, I just couldn't get enough of it. That was when the Eagleford started booming. Um, I was in the right spot at the right time. And from the month I took over the first PL to the month I handed it off to the next guy, month to month, it grew 22X in two years. So it was a wild ride, many nights sleeping on the couch. Uh, it was like, like the guy told me, Oilfield never sleeps. It was 24 seven, that kind of growth was good to be a part of. It was stressful, but man, they, and then Halliburton just kept giving me bigger PLs and bigger PLs. And, um, had another mentor named Neil Schmidt, who was a Halliburton legend. He's since retired. And uh, we we built a super camp in San Antonio, and uh, we were running a ton of frat crews. And he uh, he said, here's the keys, right? The P&L's yours. You have all the head count. You have all the decisions uh, for this, this entire business in South Texas, all product lines. Rolled to you. Here's the keys. I'll be around if you need me, but P&L is yours. And it was a $2 billion a year P&L. I was like, I don't know how old I was, but I was early 30s. I was like, oh my God, y'all are crazy. You're going to give me this PL. And I just, I just, they created a monster with me because I just, I loved it. And, um, but I was raw at the time, right? I'd been in the field for at this point about 10 years. And um, I got a phone call and they're like, hey, you need to come to Houston. We need to give you a more strategic role, polish you off a, a, a little bit more. And so the, the term I used to describe myself at that point is I was feral. I'd spent uh, 10 years in the field, either at the wellhead or managing field folks, ate up with it, loved it. But they're like, hey, we need to come take you to the corporate headquarters and keep developing you. You've got a bright future. And uh, so I moved back to Houston and uh, went to the, the corporate campus uh, at, at Halliburton. And uh, they put me in their like executive development program that they called PLEP. And it was it's an unbelievable program. Uh, year-long program and <clears throat> just continued to put you in situations to make you uncomfortable 
um, exposed you to the C-suite. They would and gave you executive coaches, intentionally stress you out, put you in situations uh, to, to make you unnerved. And uh, in one of those sessions, uh, they randomly selected a small handful of us to attend a Halliburton board meeting. And the Halliburton board is a bunch of heavy hitters. Like if you go look, look at the board, it's, it's guys and gals with 30, 40, 50 years of oil field experience that are all been CEOs at, at very large and been, been very successful. So I got to be a fly on the wall at a Halliburton board meeting in, in 2014. And they're like, sit in the corner, shut up and don't say anything. I left that and was like, oh my God, like how, how do you get there? Right. How do you, how do you, and the, the questions they asked, the values that they brought, the value that they brought to those conversations. It was, it was just like, wow, how did, how do you get there? That was, that was amazing. And I just left there jazzed up and charged up. And, you know, I want to, I want to do that one day. I don't know how to I'll never be as good as these people, but uh, it was just, it was impressive and it left a mark on me. So another downturn in 2015 hit and decided to, to go get my MBA. I'd managed a business and very large businesses and like to get to that journey that, you know, I want to be one of those folks at that table is like, I think the next step is I'll go get an MBA. So did that again at A&M here in Houston, did the executive program every other weekend for two years. That was tough. Had a demanding job at Halliburton that had started to uh, professionalize me. I was no longer, I was domesticated at that point in like 2016, 2017. And uh, wrapping up, had about six months left in the MBA and they boss comes in the office and says, you know, what do you want to do next? And I says, well, I, I want to run a bigger P&L. You know, it's like, what's like, what's the biggest? He says, Permian's the biggest P&L we have. It's pack your bags, you're going to the Permian. And so I, I um, went out and was the ops manager for the Permian for a few months. Uh, I was close to wrapping up my MBA, and that's when B29 Investments, a private equity company out of Dallas, called me and said, hey, you want to join our team? Um, we're going to build some you know, oil field service companies, you know, start them from scratch and you can be a part of it and you can sit on some of the boards. And they immediately put me on the board of Axis in April of 2018. And uh, so I got to see Axis come together uh, kind of from its infancy. They were in the middle of doing uh, a couple of M&A deals that, that ended up closing a few weeks after I started. Just got to watch those develop and uh, was, was on the board at a board level, but was assigned to other initiatives for the first few years. And then uh, COVID hit and, you know, major downturn. And uh, the uh, chairman at the time uh, um, was getting their retirement. And so we were thinking about our succession there. And the board called me and said, hey, uh, we want you to be executive chairman, take a more active role in Axis and step in and be, be more full time. Uh, at Axis, and so that was in 21, and uh, my directive from the board was to professionalize the organization. We brought a bunch of different companies together, and they needed a professional to, to continue to, to continue the journey that Axis was on, um, and that is how I ended up meeting Rogers. Is the board's initiative, the specific initiative was we need a daily P&L. It's like, okay, a daily P&L, okay, I know what that looks like like in my mind but like i gotta go build a daily pnl and, and the thought process there was you need to be able to oil field moves quick you need to be able to make real-time decisions you need the insight into your cost daily you can't wait five six weeks till you close the book in the, the 10th of the following month and go back and make decisions you need to be making real-time decisions 
So we uh, interviewed three or four different consulting companies to help us come build this real-time P&L. Uh, Alvarez and Marsal being one of them, and uh, Matt Rogers. And what attracted me to Rogers was he had sat in the seat. He had been CEO. He had run an oil field service company. And his ideas aligned with my ideas. And we started talking about, is this even possible? How complicated is this? And Rogers was like, I think we can do this. And uh, so that's how we, we got introduced together. Yeah. No, that, that's great, Ryan. Um, I, remember, I remember those days. And what you were trying to do, um, I, I mean, I remember getting that call because what you were trying to do, I always wanted to do. And, uh, and, and sitting in your seat, I always wanted to do it. And I knew it was going to be difficult. I was no longer sitting in your seat. And I was able to think about it more objectively and, and bring the team and the expertise here and collaborate on that. And, uh, and you know, when, when we think about that, we, we got it done. We got it done together. I mean, to, 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 to my knowledge, it's the only one I've ever seen where when we talk about a true daily P&L, I mean, we took that P&L down um, not just by district, but by rig, by job. And we, we came across a lot of challenges along the way. I mean, several challenges around how you allocate, not just allocate. This, this, we're not allocating things to jobs. We are tying man hours to jobs. And we're tying consumables or unconsumables to, to jobs. Um, we're tying R&M to equipment and, and to jobs. And, you know, I mean, there was a bit of trial and error there. Um, and there were some system reconfigurations. Um, but, you know, let's just talk about maybe um, that philosophy that you came to the table with that aligned with the access board, that aligned with our work, that obviously went back to your time in the field. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so this was a tool that I guess even back in your prior days, you hadn't had the benefit of that tool. Now that you have the benefit of that tool and, and like, let's go back to when this was all raw and new, what were, I guess, what were some of the challenges and what were some of the insights that that tool uh, brought out? And then some of the things that enabled, I know we want to talk about like incentives, but what were some of the, the findings that you took out of that process? Yeah, it's, it's pretty eye-opening. So essentially what we build is, you know, a rig-level P&L, right? So every rig has got its own P&L. So like not only is it a daily P&L, but every rig has its own P&L. And it's, I can pick up my phone right now and look at it and immediately go to it. And it's about transparency, I think, is one of the biggest things that, that we got out of, out of the tool is you can't hide. Um, the underperformers... Uh, you know, we, we rank the rigs at the end of every month and it's broadcast out and you don't want to have your rig right in the bottom quartile. And so we started really focusing on why, why are these rigs? We called them red rigs. We just, you know, very simply red, yellow, and green. You know, why is your rig red? And started drilling down and, and focused on the underperformers. And, you know, it, it was clear if, if a guy was managing his business or, or not manages, managing his business. And most of the cost in a, in a well-servicing business is labor. And it's about unbilled labor, right? If, if the guys are on jobs and they're working, all right, you know, the, the rig's probably not a red rig. It, you, you become uh, unprofitable when, when the rig's in the yard and the guys are in the yard with it and there's no revenue and it's unbilled labor. But it's really the, the transparency is, is the biggest thing that, that came away and, and the immediate uh, transparency. And it just, it, 
those that that ran good rigs got elevated right it was it was and we we gave them more and and the guys that ran the red rigs that a lot of them are no longer with the organization we moved them out and is continually high graded um from there yeah that um you, that, <laughs> forgot about the the, the red yellow yeah. and green because you know look um i think one of the traps some companies get into is is too this could be too much data yeah and and we brought i think collectively we brought this philosophy of management by exception um it doesn't mean you ignore every you know everything but we want to know where we're off relative to expectations we always want to be improving and so expectations are going to change so that that red yellow green went into that and i guess um there were just you know in in this was a cultural shift it was a Mm -hmm. philosophical shift it was you and I, you know, totally aligned on a decentralized nature. So, you took it back to districts, but not a, you know, this 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 philosophy doesn't fit everybody. And uh, I guess you found that out as well. And how has, uh, you know, fast forward a year, two years, how has it gelled in the organization, and and how does it show up today? Yeah, that was again. One of the reasons why I chose you is, is you had sat in the seat and we'd had some conversations of, of, you know, team design and structure. And we both were very adamant in a, in a flat structure, right? You've got you've to be lean in this business. You don't need eight layers between the CEO and, and, the, and the guy at the wellhead. Uh, the flatter, the better. You can just move quicker. And, and I think we both aligned on a, a decentralized model. And uh, a decentralized model is empowering those we i use the term district manager those are the guys that run you know they're they're the head honcho in a geography and they'll have you know yards underneath the district managers but you know, i've had that role at halliburton being a, a district manager and having a PL and like what you want when you sit in that seat and you're sitting in odessa texas or whatever isolated place like you need to feel empowered to run your business but you also need the tools uh, to make the right decisions, right? You, you don't just need to be left on the island and unsupported. So there's this balance. We don't want to micromanage, but to be successful, there has to be, you know, we have to, as the executives at Access have to give these district managers the tools they need to be successful, the financial tools, the safety tools, the equipment, the standards, the safety management systems all have to be there. But empowering these district managers to run their business like it's their own. Me and you, Rogers, you talked about this a lot. Um, like it, they are small business owners, and that's the way I treat them. That is their PNL. Uh, they're accountable for it. They're accountable for the safety of the 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 I, the troops, and they're they're accountable for hitting their numbers, right? And if uh, they don't hit their numbers, they're going to hear from me. If they hit their numbers, they're going to get patted on the back, and we're going to keep feeding the studs and and keep allocating capital uh, their way. Yeah. And I, I never went into a district and, uh, I don't, cause I would always ask, you want to run your own business? I never went to a district and asked that and had somebody said no, but they'd say, yeah, I want to run my own, own, own want to run our own business. And so, well, what if we put you in business? What if we, what if we take care of your working capital? What if we, you know, provide you the, uh, you know, the books and the records and the P and L and help educate you on the way we construct the PL. And and quite frankly, what, what if we give you your fixed cost burn and divide it over 30 days and show you, you know, the amount of revenue you have to do to, to break even? And 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 I think once you get to that point, you know, everybody's, yeah, I'll take the keys. Okay, well, let's take the keys and let's see how how we 
how far we can run with it. And, uh, and it really is so educational and, and, like you said, empowering. And without that, without that, you sit back and you say, the, the old way of doing the business, what's gratifying to your, to your district manager? Well, you know, what's gratifying without that empowerment, without that P&L, without running your own business is you get in the mode of, I never want to miss a job. I always want my trucks to roll. Safety's clearly important, but hey, I want to hire Joe's brother, uh, Jimmy's aunt, et cetera. You know, the more the better because I'm never going to miss a job. I always want to have people to go. Well, that's obviously suboptimal, but if if your bonus and your comp isn't tied to you know something truly transparent and objective, that's that's where gratification that's the common denominator. Um, and and I don't want to paint the whole industry with a broad brush, but you know, I think you could, you could think that way about lots of different jobs across lots of different industries. So you mentioned, um, you know, your expectation is, you know, are you, are you tracking to where we thought you were? Are you green or you're red? But, but now this tool's out there and you're held to that same accountability. But I think we've talked about this. You don't have to wait for five weeks after a month or three weeks after a month for the books to close you can make decisions real time and and your line of communication with your board is much cleaner and fewer surprises is that fair yeah boards don't like surprises and we have we have an active and an engaged board and constant communication with them and you know we're we're usually able to halfway through the month realistically know where we're going to land like you know the, the you're tracking that way and and you you've got a handle on your cost. And so we give a mid month, like here's, here's where we think we're going to be. Maybe, um, you know, within a few percentage points, usually now every now and then there could be some major variance there, but supports expectation in the middle of the month, we know where we're going to land. And if I miss the mark, I'm going to get a phone call, but we've, we've really got it tightened at this point. Uh, and, and the fluctuations are out of the system, but that ability to know where you're at, real time and, and make those real time decisions allows you just just to move quickly guys don't wait you know six weeks if they need to make it make a change and pull a lever like they do at mid-month right they don't have to wait and we've had cases where the guys pull those levers have to have to make some hard decisions mid-month and salvage a month because they were able to do that that that's that is a huge benefit does that give you the opportunity as well to move a rig from one area to another yeah. if if the month's better in, in Eagleford instead of Permian? I think that's my number one job as CEO is capital allocation. Like I, I give the district managers all the power in the world to run their business, but they, if, if they're underperforming, right, that rig's got wheels. You, y'all have heard that. There's a reason why that rig's got wheels is we'll move it where we can get the best return on that asset. And I will not hesitate uh, to move a rig uh, from an underperforming district uh, to a, to a high performing district and, uh, moving these rigs aren't cheap, right? So you've got to, it can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to move a rig across the country. And so before you do it, you've got to make the right decision, but we've got the rig ranking every month. We know where we're at real time. And I can tell you this week we're moving rigs from one district to another. I mean, it doesn't happen every week, but it happens and, and it allows us to, to go capture the, the best opportunity. Absolutely. So in my mind, you've got a great pulse on what's going on in the industry and where the activity is moving before many others, I, I would think. Yeah, uh, real time. We're, we're, we're making decisions real time. Uh, and we make decisions quick, right? Like we, 
you also when you when you talk about you know capital allocation and I'm, I'm a big stick to your budget kind of guy too but also like we've got to be nimble with our capital you know allocation decisions and if we've got a need like for example just this week like we had a need come up and it was a need that that was related to to a um a, a tender right and like we knew if we we, we want it like we're gonna have to acquire um some additional toys uh to do that and like on a tuesday you know we, we sat down and, and we looked at the business case and approved it on a wednesday and we'll have the stuff by friday right we moved super quick and that's you know a testament to having like a good fpna team a good finance team to have those business cases they're ready to prove but you've also got to have confidence that the data that is being presented to you is is accurate right because everybody in this business they want the toys right because if they've got the toys then they can hit their bonus they can hit the budget they don't have their toys they can't hit it so you've got to be careful and make sure that the assumptions in the business cases are conservative because everybody tends to inflate the opportunity and be over aggressive with the assumptions and so there's also right you know these guys are incentivized to 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 get more equipment so there's you just got to be careful uh you know how quick you move sometimes and then I you know, just want to make sure, you know, core, we're talking about purposeful and philosophy and some of the foundational elements of Axis. And, and I go back to probably 2019 was the first I'd heard of the core technology and, and digital's talked about a lot. But, you know, I think Axis was one of the first that, that I became introduced to that actually used that operating data to the benefit of the customer, to the benefit of Axis. You married that with the financial data, right? And maybe that marriage, maybe that's a good segue to talk about rig of the month. Yeah. I always like uh, seeing who's the rig of the month and, and would like to dig, dig a little deeper as to what, how, how does a rig get to be rig of the month? Yeah. And that, that's, that's our favorite post on LinkedIn when we, when we get to post those and, and gets the most views and the most interactions the guys, you know, seeing the picture of the crew in front of the rig, it, it's just, a, it's a great, great deal getting to celebrate those rigs. What, what CORE has brought to us is, is the same thing we talked about with the PL is transparency. It's helped us, you know, elevate the rigs. Um, and, and the way we, we calculate rig of the month, I mean, it's the heaviest weight in that formula is on the safety side, right? Are the guys doing their daily startup inspections? Are the guys reporting their near misses? Um, are the guys working incident free, right? Are they doing all the, all the right things on the safety side? That's definitely the most heavy part of that equation, but we're also using, right, the P and L, right? We're also using core, uh, you know, are they entering their data properly in core? Is every sensor working, right? Does their job logs make sense? Um, and, and it's, it's, uh, you know, three or four different factors that go into it and, uh, the guys take it very seriously and it's, it's competitive. Like if a guy thinks he deserves rig of the month, like there's people that get upset when they don't get it. I wish, I wish they could all get it. Um, you know, we, we, we give them a plaque, right? We give them a little bit of incentives and a bunch of access swag. And it, it just, it's, it's just a, you know, positive com camaraderie and, and, uh, just the, you know, positive, uh, peer pressure is, is a good thing. And the competition amongst the crews is it's a healthy competition, right? Um, but yeah, it just, it just continues to drive, you know, the behaviors that we want. You mentioned core. Can you elaborate a little bit for the audience? So, right, um, you know, drilling rigs have pace on, right? And, and you can drill an engineer can sit in his office and look at everything. And, you know, frag jobs have been remoted forever. And uh, 
cool tubing can do it, wireline can do it, but workover rigs didn't really have something like a real-time data. Um, we have that at Axis. We've, we've branded it Core. All of our completion rigs have it. Um, so it gives, it's, it's real-time data. I can pull it up on my phone. I can see every uh, Core rig running today. I can see what they're doing. You see how many plugs per hour they're drilling. I can see their connection times. I can see the trip speeds. Um, at the end of it, we've we've got a, a core engineer that that puts together a post job report, uh, packages up, you know, after every well, sends it to the customer, and, and and gives that transparency of how well we did. And right, we even wrote an SB paper on it. Um, you can go you can go look that up, and it just talks about how we become more efficient with core using the data. And we're not like we're not rushing. We're not telling the guys to to work faster. But how do we put more weight on bit or right apply the right chemistry or, or right have the right pump pressures? And we have you know all these things that go into drilling frag plugs faster. And Core gave us you know that visibility to that. And we had a really good team of engineers that that are behind that, and uh, it's just helped us uh, compete in in the completion space. Do your customers have access to that core? Yeah, absolutely. If you if you uh, if you sign up uh, for a, a completions rig, uh, you can do that online. I, we will we set you up and and you have that ability to go look at your rig twenty four seven three sixty five. It it's probably also good for troubleshooting when when things don't go right. The data is right there. You can correct it quickly, and and uh, everybody can get to the answer. Yeah, I mean, there's. Most workover rigs, when, when there's a job problem, everybody's pointing the finger, right? And we've, we can go over some specific examples where core's like, okay, you can see exactly what happened, right? And it's it's definitely brought some light to some some practices and, and some improvement opportunities there. You know, there, there's just this this uh, tone of purposefulness and planning, and um, I'd like for you to just to expand on that because. Um, you know, I've really seen Axis move up the food chain in terms of the type of customers you go after, and then also the way you have used M and A, um, because you've you've grown organically as well as through M and A, and it seems very purposeful. Right, um, it's definitely been my mission since I've, I've stepped in full time at Axis is to keep aligning with with the majors. Um, don't want to forget about. Uh, everybody else, ha half our revenue today comes from the majors. The other half comes from all the other ENPs out there. But every day, the majors are consolidating more and more. Like it, it's real and it's happening. And what I like about the majors is they have the highest standards. And if we can work for them, we can work for anybody. And I, I try to have make sure my team has a positive attitude regarding that. That they they say, okay, we accept this as a challenge. Like we're going to have the best standards, we're going to have the best rigs, we're going to have the best people, and if we can go work for the big guys, we can go work for anybody. And I also talk talk to the guys is like we control the safety culture on location. Just because we were on a major's location today, uh, and then we go to someone else's location tomorrow, our safety culture doesn't change. We bring it with us. And we're like a thermostat. We control the safety culture on location. So I think it helps us elevate our game to align with those majors. And they continue to consolidate. And um, we continue to grow with them. And uh, we're very focused on, on growing with them. And speaking of growth, like, um, you know, during COVID, we were, we were very opportunistic on the, on the M&A front. And um, I, I 
kind of jokingly, but it's, it's not an exaggeration. We started 2021 with 36 rigs and we ended it with 300. Wow. So, uh, huge growth, right? And that's part of why I focus more, you know, all of my time on Axis. We got really big, uh, really quickly. And, um, you know, when we founded Axis originally, um, we're very completion focused. Uh, we're focused on the long laterals, uh, drilling out these three, four, five hour long laterals. We wanted to be the guys and we had the biggest rigs, uh, in the business. We had the snubbing, we had the pumps, we had everything needed to go out and drill the longest laterals. And, and we've done that and we do that still today. But with those acquisitions that we did in 2021, we expanded more into, uh, the production realm and more into the, the P&A realm. And now we're kind of almost equally balanced in completions, production, and P&A. And uh, it's, it's a really good blend for us. You, you get less of the, the variability uh, in the production side, and the P&A side is, is really taken off. But those, those two M&A deals uh, that we did in 2021 were uh, transformative for us. Uh, we've now got over 30 yards in North America and we've got the rigs, right? Mm -hmm. Now the question is, you know, do you, do you sink the capital is, is the opportunity worth? And the last thing this world needs is, is, um, you know, another junky rig running down the road. So we're very careful with how we, um, think about bringing rigs off the fence. Um, we've scrapped a lot of the rigs. A lot of them were never needed to see a, another job in their life and they were 20 years old, but, uh, you know, coming up with, you know, th those M&A deals, I think the board saw those deals coming and, and that was a lot of why we, we went down this initiative with A&M was they wanted us to be ready financially, have the financial acumen. Uh, so that way when these deals came, uh, we were able to apply our accesses procedures to these companies. And these companies didn't come with management teams. They were, you know, through bankruptcies and, and um, they were run really lean at the time. And uh, we were able to kind of, before the deals closed, take their data, put it in to our uh, P&L, our rig ranking, and, and make some really interesting decisions on, you know, where the rigs were making money, where they weren't making money, and really guided us, you know, through our integration plan. I think that's that's remarkable. You know, you and I talked about that that in the M and A process, and you looked at dozens of deals, yeah, awesome. and in in critical and in, in to to your getting to the finish line was being able to take a disaggregated or or, or rather aggregated, consolidated, non decentralized P and L, and then break it back down into your standards so that you could understand the true drivers and the opportunity to, for improvement. And, and that's no small task to do with third party data. So, uh, commend you guys for that. Yeah. So, you know, just one of the last things for me at least here is, um, you know, very purposeful, very transparent, decentralized ownership in the field. You know, it's, it's clear that's, allowed you to position yourself for the organic and the M&A growth. It's allowed you to really improve margins. It's a tough business. Um, but I don't, we might have touched on a little bit, but really, how's it allowed you to compete for talent um, in terms of, you know, have you seen it show up in attrition or, or lack thereof or less thereof and, and the incentives 
um, it's got to be appealing to a certain type of uh, district manager or team member. H- how have you seen that play out? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it ties back into incentives very closely to the, the P&L conversation. And I, we worked on this together. I think you helped me roll out our, our you know, first um, uh, compensation plan kind of tied, tied to the P&L. Um, today, uh, you know, we have districts, and then underneath the district, we have yard managers is, is the term I use. Everybody uses a different term, but I use the term yard manager. And this is a, a manager that he runs that yard, again, and that's his P&L. Those are his rigs. And every month he's graded, you know, he's got the, he's got the real-time P&L, and, and he's got the transparency to, to see all this, all this cost on every rig. And just this year, we started incentivizing those guys on their yard specific PL just on gross margins. Nothing and, and in my opinion, they control one hundred percent of gross margins. These yards managers control the pricing, uh, they control the hiring, they control the firing, they control the wages, they control the maintenance, um, the unbilled labor, and it's all right there, right? At the fingertips and power BI. There's no excuses that I didn't know. And being able to have that transparency because there's nothing worse than have a having a bonus system that's confusing that guys don't understand or that guys don't have control over so when you incentivize a guy on his yard level gross margins that he has 100 percent control of he's empowered right he's bought in and there's nothing worse than uh throwing people in, into a huge bonus pool that they don't have effect of and that you know, you've got another yard in your district that's weighing you down, and you've got these uh, underperformers that are affecting, you know, your your variable comp. And so we, we, we took all that out and just gave, uh, I call it the profit-sharing bonus, pay it monthly, so you've got that instant, like, real-time gratification. We've got, you know, thresholds that they have to meet, right? There has, there has to be a certain level of profitability for them to meet. But what it's done is it's drove efficiencies into their business, right? You know, it's, it's made them tighten up their business. But at the end of the day, the biggest thing it's done is empowered them, right? It's given them uh, complete ownership. And that, I think that's the dream if, if you're in that position. That's ac- excellent. Well, Jeff? Well, yeah, another question. Through all this data you're gathering in real time and you're finding out a lot of things about your business, have there been discoveries that have made you think, I need to get more involved in this part of the business, or maybe we need to exit this part of the business that things you might not have uncovered otherwise. Yeah. Uh, again, the, the transparency, uh, you can't hide with, with those transparencies and, uh, with that transparency, I, I can't, I won't go into specific details, but like everybody sees it, right. It, it, it makes it to the board level very, very quickly too. And, and you can't hide. And we have exited, I guess since I've taken over as CEO, we've exited a couple lines of business, right? We've we've done that, and it's like, why are we in this business? It's it doesn't generate cash. If it doesn't generate cash, why are we doing it? And uh, made those. I mean, it's actually been an easy decision when you when you can look at the P and L, and it clearly is destructive to to your balance sheet. And uh, yeah, I, I, once once that data is there in front of you, you have to act on it. And uh, absolutely. Really enjoyed the conversation. Learned a lot. Appreciate everything you shared with us, and congratulations on really a job really well done with Access. Excited to see what's coming in the future for you guys. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. Really proud to be able to count you and Access as, as partners. 
yeah, I'm, I'm proud to, to be here too with you guys. And, 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 uh, it's, I guess we've been working together for three years now and, uh, it's been fun. And, and the fact we're still living in the tool we built three years ago and it's nearly the exact same tool we built and we still live in it every day and the value we've gotten out of it. Uh, it's been tremendous. So appreciate y'all's help. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. And to our audience, thank you for joining us for this episode of The Next Imperative. We hope you found it as informative as we did, and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe to The Next Imperative so you never miss a new episode. Also, visit our website at alvarezandmarsal.com to learn more and to connect with us.